0: Uh, we haven't really decided whether we're going to post it for the whole public but it's others in the churches so at least we're on record with you know some of the stuff so, yeah. Father thank you for your word thank you for the fact that you're not actually afraid of questions like the book of Psalms is full of them and uh, so we're, we're just mm-hmm. grateful that you're a God that invites us into that kind of a conversation and that you are uh, brave enough to Let us have these kinds of conversations, and uh, we just invite you into our presence tonight, and to speak to us and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek, I'm gonna get you a chair or two. So, Derek, um, so Derek is smarter than me. Like I knew. Here's how you know Derek was smart. He was uh, when that. What was the Interstellar movie? Like, which is basically a, a, a Mensa, a line full of Mensa people standing in line for this movie. And I saw Derek, like, at the front of it and, like, oh. up. <laughs> and all the other, like, 150 IQs. But, Derek, tell us a little bit about your past, though. Like, you've, uh, you didn't just roll off the apple cart. Uh, you spent time overseas. Tell us just a little bit about that before.
1: Sure. Um, in 91, I became a Christian as a freshman in college. Uh, didn't grow up in church at all. And so by the end of my freshman year, I switched my major from aerospace engineering to philosophy and religion because what else to study to go, you know, tell the world about Jesus. And so um, I studied, this was at USC, so it was not from a Christian perspective at all. Um, 95, went into ministry with my wife. We got married a week after graduation, spent about 12 years in full-time campus ministry, which involved everything from Bible studies on campus to eventually I was going around the world and helping to plant new uh, new mission offices that would help send out new missionaries. And so I was involved with a lot of university outreach and along the way got a seminary degree from Fuller Theological Seminary and uh, eventually we moved to, uh, to China for a summer and then here to Franklin and I got involved with a bunch of more um, like anti-trafficking, social justice, uh, rescuing child soldier kind of stuff and I met there along the way and, uh, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus through a, a pretty wild journey. So it's been, it's been, and fun. you
0: sort of like skated over like a bunch of stuff there. Cause you, when you go to the Philippines to open offices, it wasn't like, you, you know, you're just going to hang out for a little bit. Like you're literally like opening up the frontier for a international organization.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it, imagine if you get a phone call that said, Hey, we have 20 college students who all want to go into full-time ministry." and we're here in New Zealand or Australia or Canada or Africa or wherever it might be, some country around the world, what do we do? And so, you know, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's exciting, but then there's the question of, how do you do that? You know, what is that? There's training, and then, of course, there's logistics. How do you fund a missionary? How do you get a support development uh, structure in there? So my I was kind of on the admin side, but um, everything from... How to set up a uh, incorporated organization in, in New Zealand or the Philippines? To you need payroll, you need accounting, you need legal, you need HR, you need marketing, you need you know stationery, you need to train people actually how to present their ministry. So, I was kind of more the um, the admin behind the the vision of it all. So it was uh, quite an experience. Oh. Um, I don't know if you need the
0: whiteboard. I brought it back. Uh, if you need it at all, but, um, I asked, uh, Derek to approach one of the questions, which was kind of a statement written as a question or a question written as a statement, which was about help us understand polygamy versus new Testament versus. And so, uh, I've just, I asked Derek to take a look at that and tell me what what he thinks. And then I'll probably give you a little bit what I think and, yeah. And, and, uh, see what ultimately what, what the Bible thinks. Um, how we can best understand it. So
1: that question reminds me when I was taking classes at Fuller Seminary, there was a one of my professors. He used to be a missionary way back, like in the fifties and early sixties in Africa, and I forget the exact country. It could have been like Congo, Belgium Congo before they ever you know got independence. They were somewhere, but um, he actually got fired from the mission because. They're planting churches and, you know, teaching about this Jesus person. And this tribal leader who has 20 wives gets radically born again. And the whole tribe says, we want to follow Jesus. And they come to him and, okay, what do we do? And, oh, well, he's teaching the Bible and the Holy Spirit and how to listen to him. And, you know, there's all these, there was a lot of alcoholism and domestic violence and things going on. But um, the central mission here in the U.S. said... Great. You know, a chief just got uh, committed to Christ. He's got 20 wives. Well, tell them to pick one and divorce the other 19. And, you know, it's kind of like the corporate headquarters is telling him that on the ground. What that means in that culture is, okay, so out of my 19 wives, I pick one and condemn the rest to either poverty, death, and prostitution And being never able to marry anyone else because that would be considered adultery and all these other cultural things and he said what do I do well I got fired because I could not be the Holy Spirit to that chief there was this culture that had polygamy what do they do and um, that kind of opened up a lot of questions in our class and so and I didn't mean to interrupt you that is exactly
0: when we got to Togo Africa uh, five years ago we were uh, meeting some of the families there, and, and they live in little, like, Lord of the Rings-looking huts. Um, and they're in a circle. So there's, like, little hut, little hut, little hut, and and, and it's, like, a, a just a, a circle of huts. And one hut was for, like, the goats and chickens, and one little hut was for the children. And then we were, were meeting and saying, this is for my wife here, and then this one is for my wife here, and this one is for my wife. And I'm like, and it was the first time we knew, <laughs> like, oh, man, this is a whole new world that we... And that was the the thing that we had encountered was that these are people that when they come to Christ, that that there's three women, three wives, pick one, the other two. Now, what do you do with them? They're literally would be homeless, destitute. The children would be thrown out. So we this isn't like to me. This wasn't like an ethereal philosophy class what if like we we literally had it like in the face and there's a conduit church in this village where that is going on like right now and pastor william actually is going to be here in april Mm -hmm. the that pastors the church in this little village but anyway
1: well that's perfect so it's a real question and um the best i mean it's The best answer that I could give you that I've kind of studied a little bit um, in the old, the question was Old Testament, polygamy polygamy is allowed, New Testament, you don't see it, explain. Well, um, one thing that I've, I've kind of believed is that a lot of the Old Testament and the New Testament isn't necessarily prescriptive, but it's descriptive. What I mean by that is that there really is no commandment, thou shalt have many wives. And there's not really a commandment, thou shalt only have one wife. Although there is something in the New Testament that um, does say something similar, but it's more like Abraham. Actually, let me pop question. Um, Who was Abraham's firstborn son? Does anybody know? Ishmael, Ishmael, yes. Bible scholar. A lot of people say Isaac. I named my son Isaac. Um, Ishmael was born because Sarah wasn't having any babies. There's this promise to have a kid. Hey, let's bring in Hagar as another wife or concubine or whatever you want to call it he he had a couple wives going on there for a while um jacob and he had a bunch of wives all of the, obviously solomon had a bunch of wives even david had wives you go through it and there really isn't like a stamp of approval or a stamp of condemnation it's just kind of like there it is and so um what theologians have looked at and i kind of agree with is that there may not be a prescription for or against, but there's more of an ideal, perhaps, that in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and God said, you shall leave your father, mother, and cleave to your wife, um, not your wives, but your wife. That was almost an ideal of a husband and a wife in monogamy for the rest of your life. And then a lot of stuff happened, you know, after Adam and Eve and all that. But um, later on in the New Testament, Paul does say, I think in the Timothy's books, uh, it's preferred that elders have one wife um and culturally a lot of things were changed around that time as well not just within christianity but even before that in the intertestamental period so the way i look at it is that it was allowed and it kind of could be allowed now but it's not the ideal because there's so many crazy things that could happen but um there's it's it is a complex issue when it gets to these cultures that are already very polygamous and all of a sudden you have someone in Togo or wherever it might be. What do you do? And the way that the professor handled it is that he said, Well, you know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just teaching about the Bible and you've got to pray and to to God about this whole issue. And I believe the way that the tribe their tribe, the way that they handled it, was that, you know, for this generation we're going to love, you know, the wives and, and keep it where it All follow Jesus. But this next generation, we're going to, you know, my son is only going to have one wife. And, you know, this wife is only going to be one of a husband, whatever it might be. So um, it was kind of more of a, this is a long term. We're not just going to cut it off throughout the 19. And um, I don't know the end of that story. I hope it all worked out wherever they, they were. But um, I don't know. That's that's the best answer that i have i don't know if you have something else that you could throw in there i think that when i look at the
0: well to quote rich mullins it's one thing to win them it's another to keep them content well uh, we're talking about marrying a woman and and uh the idea of uh, multiple like i don't know who wants that like that that would be hard work <laughs> you know so it's like imagine that marriage counseling um and it's actually kind of funny because every once in a while I'll watch. I don't know if you ever watched like the Sister Wives. Like that's my like cotton candy, brain candy. It's like I haven't done it in a while, but it's like you watch that. Like, like why would you do that? That's exhausting. Just to watch that all unfold is exhausting. But when I look to the the scripture and you know which we we discussed at the beginning, like that was where we're always going to go back to, you know, as far as conduit. That's our basis for truth and for what's best and. Even before the Garden of Eden, the picture of God is there's a maternal and a paternal in him. There's a, he's not male or female, he's other. But some of you already know this, but the word El Shaddai is a maternal picture of God. El is God, and Shad speaks of breast, breastfeeding. So it's this mom version of God, like a mama bear that is nurturing and takes care of. Him. And so in God is even a male and female picture that we then come together and are a picture of I'll create them and we will create them in our image and so here's Adam and Eve being created in our image Elohim which is the triune god and so in the perfect picture of it is the male and female in the picture of who we are and one of the, the things that's so vexing about our society here is that when you start bending the gender issues that even if I mean, there are a social scientists or a guy, guys like Tony Robbins that are you know they're non-believers that talk about the, the the masculine and the feminine and the importance of that in a relationship. Many marriage relationships that go south is because roles are being reversed a little bit. Not necessarily like he's running around dressed in her underwear. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like role reversal of like she, he's letting her take on the masculine role and he's subservient. And so there's this picture of uh, 15 years into a marriage where all of a sudden she doesn't respect him anymore because he's a wuss, and, and all he really wanted to do was just, well, I don't care, I just love the baby, I just want you to be, you know, I want you to have your So in, in a regular marriage, that masculine and feminine, those roles are very important. And I agree, I think that there's a descriptive and a prescriptive picture of God, uh, what's happening. And, and I look to the idea, whether it was David, and, you know, look how that worked out. His life was ruined from it. Is he had lost a child, and he he wept, and to me, one of the most famous ones that I just think is a great picture of the consequences is when Jacob uh, wanted so bad. You Remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? He wanted so bad to marry this woman that he thought was just beautiful, and he worked for her for seven years. I think it's Genesis 20-something, uh, and... At the end of that seven years, because of the culture, one of the great switcheroos of all history, and he wakes up the next morning next to Leah and is like, I've been screwed, man. This is not great. And he ends up working for another seven years to get Rachel. And the thing that he wanted so bad... Uh, she says to him, give me children, else I'll die. And at the, almost the minute they're married, she just turns into like the ditch witch. She is mean to him. She is harassing him. Give me children or I'm going to die. You know, and it, which ends up becoming the race to how many babies that they can make between, uh, between all of them. And the reason I bring that up is that he wanted Rachel. She ends up dying in childbirth and makes his life miserable. And at the end of his life in Genesis, I wish I'd have written this down, 39, 50, yeah, yeah. Jacob's on his deathbed, and he's handing out blessings to his sons, whatever. And at the very end, he says, and bury me with, you would think he would have said Rachel, wouldn't you? But he didn't. He said, bury me with Leah. And it was the picture of, that was the one God had for him all along. He wasn't getting hosed. Because Leah would give birth to a son named Judah. And Jesus is a lion from the tribe of Judah. That was the one that he had for her the whole time. And it took him a lifetime to figure it out. And Rachel, and and the the, the picture that I love of this is is that God is so merciful. Because even though Rachel really caused him a lot of grief, she uh, she would give birth to a son named Joseph. And it was Joseph that saved all of Israel. And so to me, the picture is, is that even in our foolishness, the, the, the consequences are there and the misery is there, but God is never going to waste a bad decision. And he uh, allowed uh, Jacob to make some decisions that were not good, that were, uh, I would probably even say sinful. I think that, you know, if you use the word, uh, sinful hamartia, uh, which is the Greek word, which means to miss the mark. Tim and I, uh, Tim did a video. I we'll have to play that maybe this Sunday because uh, Tim was like a master archer. And but if you miss the mark, is what the New Testament idea of sin is. And so the bullseye is one man, one woman, and anything off of that is completely missing the mark. And so I look at it and think God had a picture in mind is a picture that we in our, at our best as married couples at our best are a picture of God to our children uh, the masculine and the feminine coming together even social science will say is a, is a good thing for a child if, if they're not being uh, swayed by media stuff like the, the guys that like I said Tony Robbins is the most famous one I could think of but there are others out there that aren't Christians that say that there's a masculine and a feminine it's very important and when it comes together it is just it's a picture of God it's, it's El Shaddai uh, the all-breasted one. It's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. It's the maternal, the paternal, coming together in a child in that environment. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's, the, it's, the, it's Eden. It's a glimpse of how it was um, in Eden. Questions from you guys? Thoughts? The thing that came into my mind is just, to my understanding, if it's
2: something that's not against Scripture, then you want to Conceived to the laws of where you are. we talk about mm-hmm. different countries and, and different things and the laws of our nation, you know, what they provide for and what they mm-hmm. prohibit. So if you're living where it's illegal for mm-hmm. playing, whether you're living in scripture or not,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it, as long as it's not contradicting scripture to follow that law, yeah. you want
0: to follow that law. Yeah, because when you take it back to what scripture would say in that, you know, for us, because our laws are about to change, newsflash. Um, And so we, uh, well, that's, well, I won't even go there because we're going to talk about that in about four weeks. So, um, but the rules are changing around here, but for us, like for sure, like if we can go to this ideal that scripture has, to me, that's, you know, uh, it's pretty easy, and, and the beautiful thing about it, I honestly believe, is that Scripture really speaks to pretty much every issue we'll ever encounter. Like, there's not a thing in our lives, not a decision that we'll make, where Scripture doesn't speak to on some level. Um, and so, I think that for us, uh, you know, Scripture would say that uh, a man and a woman is is God's ideal, and that God would have enough mercy for. Uh, a guy, and it 's so quick i 'm always quick to i don 't know about you guys, but i 'm always really quick to put Western culture on top of it, and say from that perspective, but for these brothers and sisters, maybe someday you 'll go with me to Togo and get to meet some of them um, but that 's kind of what we where we came down on it, which is we 're teaching uh, one man, one woman and we 're teaching it to children who um, are growing up that will the hope will be that they will go on and to marry into god 's ideal because the downside of it over there is this: it sounds great on paper. But the the husband can't provide for all these women. So he's, you know, he's hosed too. So it's not even a good situation. Like, it's not like these women aren't waking up in the morning thrilled about the circumstances they find themselves in. You know, this is not like it doesn't work uh, on paper. I mean, it doesn't work in reality with it. Any other thoughts? We could watch an episode of Sister Wives just for fun. (laughs) had some
3: Mormons visit my house, and, and they got to let them. Uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints not be in the branch That was one of the misconceptions that they said over thought that they are lot Apparently those are other people. They watch Sister Wives, too, They think it's fascinating. But...
0: but they didn't sign up for that, right?
3: Yeah, they, they're, they're still one, one, one man with I'm not depending on the Mormons.
0: They, they do it for yeah. That's right. We almost, we almost elected one. <laughs> I
2: have a section of my family that's Mormon. So I grew up in a partially Mormon household huh. for a while. I'm exposed to it. Yeah. And I've addressed that question in the past with them. the answer I was given was a long time ago. Oh,
0: it was born out, out of that. All
2: yeah. they had for, because women couldn't provide for themselves, and there were so many more women than men before along, that men were supposed to take taken on multiple wives because the wives needed a provider. And then, as the times became more current, it split yeah. off into separate sets and so that there is a sexual monism
0: that's quite significant. They skipped the part about the Joseph Smith actually declared it like as a prophecy from God. Yeah, I didn't. I,
3: I knew that part. But I didn't get to it. Yeah, yeah, like I gave you softball. Questions. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, because they won't come back if you hardball it too much. So they're like, oh, that was fun. We're gonna go to the next house. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody want to take credit for the question? You don't have to. That's it was your question, problem. wasn't it? Was it? Okay. Thought. Give me a thought.
4: Well, I I think if you look at it from the perspective of God operating within a culture that is already established, albeit right or wrong, that makes it easier to do what the missionary that Derek is talking about and what you've described in of Africa. Is There's a there's a level of freedom there to say, okay, this is how this generation is operating, but going forward, this is where we want to move to. And I think that's the picture you see in yeah. Scripture. It's like, okay, this is how it was. It's not God's ideal. Somewhere that got lost along the way, but God redeems that and then eventually moves to a pattern that you see in the New
0: Testament where uh, it's one man, you know, one woman uh, for a lifetime. It's fighting poverty. I mean, I guess that's the thing. I, maybe I didn't make that clear, but if you talk about people that want to go out and fight poverty— One man working in a cornfield trying to provide for uh, three, four women with a lot of Um, children—he can't. It's just not possible. So, I was
1: going to say, and one thing not to lose on that is that you'll always be bumping into different cultures. Whether it's—I remember a pastor in Raleigh, Durham said, "Who's going to reach the Hicks? You know, the rednecks—the ones that are out there right now in the Appalachia who can't." Read, whatever, who's, and you know, we're all like in this multicultural Duke University type of environment, and we're like, Yeah, that is a separate culture. And what that missionary did, which I think what he was teaching us in Fuller, was he didn't stand up and say, Look, keep your wives for now, but this next generation, A, B, C, D, he literally said to the elders, to these new Christians, Why don't you search the scriptures and pray about what to do? I mean, this is your culture this is your this is god working through you and your parents and your life and whatever what are you going to do and it was them seeking god about how they want to see god into their culture and they made that decision that this next generation it's not because the white guy from minnesota or where he was from told me so um probably minnesota yeah Feels it's right. uh, it's this is what god has called us to do and um and it was very deliberate that God was working through them, not, you know, cookie cutting this Western, a bunch of Minnesotan culture in the middle of Uganda or wherever that might be. So, yeah. That <sighs> was my question, by
3: the way. I was wondering
0: that. Yeah. Were yeah. yeah. you looking for getting a couple more wives or you? No, no, actually I was, just, I was just looking for, you know, just looking for an answer. You
3: know, yeah. The questions that you have, yeah. I mean, you know, does it doesn't yeah. address it. And, and, you know, I look at it, I have the same philosophy, you know, I mean, like. If another guy wants to have a bunch of wives, that's awesome. But my wife is 10, 15
0: times. Plenty. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, plenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife has gone up plenty. Yeah.
3: But you know, I think about it, it like you said. Like it's a, in the Old Testament. It is you know like candied pork. You know, but that was a health thing. They don't eat pork because they didn't cook it, and it would you know make the deal. You know, to, allowing them to have multiple wives in the Old Testament was. Uh, you know something that was culturally acceptable because then they like she said you bring them in you
0: can provide
3: whatever but
0: But important to note that it was never commanded right uh, nor uh, taught as doctrine or in Levitical law like it wasn't like something that God said like even when you start talking about pork or shellfish or those things the multiple marriage thing was you know in many ways was born out of a culture like uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, Babylonian all those early ancient cultures this would have been part of their normal life so yeah, like Abraham comes out of that. It and,
3: and it doesn't ever say when it, when it started,
1: though, does it? I mean, it just kind of... Just Lamech kind of, was the first one in the Bible, you know, back in Genesis. But that doesn't mean there wasn't, like, ten <clears throat> other guys before him, or right. a thousand. Well, that's just the first one. Yeah, just yeah. whether, you know, there's yeah. a lot of people who lived and died that aren't in Scripture, yeah. so.
0: Right. so... Who knows?
1: Ron has a thought. Didn't
5: they... It's, it's kind of like... Our old western frontier when our forefathers went out and they started building these cattle ranches and stuff, and they realized that I can't take even care of it all myself, so we have a bunch of kids and they'll grow up and they'll have, we can separate out the land and all and mm-hmm. the kids will help us grow Wouldn't it have been similar to that back in the beginning where dad, and or mm-hmm. uh, Abraham, Joseph, or you know, gee, I got all these sheep out there and I can't take care of them and plant crops too, so i just go have a bunch of wives and they'll have a bunch of kids and they'll grow up, you know, <coughs> 12 years, they're going to be out there doing all that yeah. work. And maybe I don't have to work as hard, but I can take care of one area and we'll re- build a tribe. Mm-hmm. We'll build a nation. So it was more of a nation building. Effort. That's what I was
3: saying. It was more of a Something of practicality, it wasn't a... Yeah, it was just something. Not saying it was right or wrong. Yeah. Which leads to a follow-up question. How would you deed your land if you had
5: multiple lives? I'm understand the real estate, so I'm just kind
0: of wondering. You, you flip know, for it.
5: it. So, so, are <laughs> we reading about, is it the shaman that happens every seventh year in the Jewish community where all the land and all the debts are forgiven every seven years? It's every 50 years.
0: It
5: all goes back to wherever, and it's gone
0: all over again. Yeah, every fifty years, the year of jubilee.
5: jubilee.
0: <laughs> yeah.
4: Do you uh, want well, to note on that? Uh, Jewish people never actually went through with it and celebrated the year of jubilee. And so, was a lot, uh, a lot of people believe that their years in captivity were God getting his years of jubilee back, and it was something like. They didn't even do the every seven years where they were to plant no crops and so right. They simply live off of the sixth year, which, which was supposed to be plenty. Got to of those up, and it basically added up to they was seventy years uh, of captivity, and uh, that's why um, the Jewish people were taken away hmm. because they couldn't. They, there was this fear that, well, wait a minute, I, I've amassed all this wealth now. I have to give all this land back to this person who squandered it, you know? Right. Um, and they didn't. Uh, they didn't follow
5: that. Hmm. That's a completely other
0: yeah. side note.
5: Well, they must have done it for a short period of time. Because it talks about it, and then it talks about... Every seven years, a slave had to be let go, serve all Oh, the land, too. Yeah. They sold land. It came back to them. Um, in around 586 or something like that, B.C., when God took everything away from them. private cane came in and just wiped them out, and it was all because they weren't following the original rules. And then uh, now it had to be a certain number, of, it had to be 70-some shots.
1: That's and why you should only marry one woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll
5: be going to start it all
0: over again. Yeah, give her back yeah. at the end of 70 years. Yeah. Well, you
2: to add is one thing. In our culture, this question comes up a lot in we blogs. It says, Jesus said nothing about marriage, meaning gay marriage. But it's plain in Matthew 19. It gives the role of the gender. Singular, it says why. And so we'll get into this probably later. But Jesus wasn't silent about marriage and what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the idea that... Um I don't have a lot of, when, when people are redefining marriage, like I have a more respect for atheism than I do for someone who will torture the scripture and mess it around to say, well, that's not really what it said or didn't like, let's at least look at it and say, this is what it says. And i let the chips fall where they may. But when we're rewriting it, then it's like, you know, then atheism is a more intellectually tenable answer than, than trying to cook it up. And, but that, you're right. We're going to talk. More because there's, a, there's a, it's a, obviously an issue that faces our time and our nation and our families and so I have some uh, I have some thoughts on that I'll go all with that in a few weeks. Um, Seven forty. I got I, one of the questions we had was how should I know if I should pray for Obama if he's destroying our nation should I pray for him to be destroyed or should I or uh, uh, how how do I know I should pray for him. And I'm sort of, uh, I think Holder was in the the answers or the question as well. But here's, so here's my thought. I I, want to be full disclosure with you. I'm a political junkie. I love this stuff. I'm, uh, when I was a kid, I would get up in the morning and watch CNN before it was, uh, back then it was still communist news network. It was before it became Clinton news network, uh, and it's moved into anyway. Um, but I'd get, I didn't even, I don't know, I would get up at like 5.36 in the morning at like fourth and fifth grade watching. Back then it was in 30 minute segments and it was over and over again. I, I didn't realize it was weird until later, going, I was a weird kid. <laughs> I was like a super weird kid. Um, and so I say that to say that I'm a, uh, I have opinions about um, our current administration. I have opinions that are, I think, are the right ones. <laughs> That's why I'm holding them. <laughs> um, but I think that the, the bigger question is, again, when we're talking about a leader, so let's say it's Obama for us, but let's say if it's Kim Jong-un, okay, in North Korea, or what if you're in a failed state of Yemen? I don't, it's, it's not lost on me that right now Yemen, Somalia, Syria there's one other one I'm forgetting are all they don't have they're failed states right now we, our embassies are gone from there there are no US embassies right now because they're being pulled out because radical islam is taking over so no Pakistan still has a US embassy but they were uh today in Yemen uh, uh they've taken our uh US embassy vehicles and I'm sure before long there'll be pictures showing up on the internet of them jumping into the uh, the embassy pool like they were in Libya um a few months back So, you know, my question is, do we pray for our leaders? And then the question is, what do we pray for our leaders? And I think the answer for me, when I look back on it, was to turn in the Bible for me to the scripture that talks about where God promises me that I'm going to always live in a Christian nation. And it's not there. (laughs) He never promised it. And so oftentimes I'm asking God to keep a promise he never made. And that puts me in a really bad situation because I'm, I'm mad about it. And I, I think that – I want to be careful how I say this because it could come across wrong. If you're in a nation like North Korea, you're not confused as to whether you're part of this kingdom or his kingdom because this kingdom sucks if you're in a nation like ours for the last few hundred years, it was a pretty good we had a pretty good thing going. And so we were very excited about, very proud of, and thrilled with what was happening in our nation while we were turning a blind eye to a lot of the things that were happening, segregation, racial discrimination, women's rights, things that, you know or, and I'll take it to this current day that we'll say Man, our nation is the greatest nation on earth, and I I'd love living in America. And I look to the world, and I see that America has single-handedly provided more missionaries around the world and financing for the gospel than any nation, all the other nations combined, in history. So, they're, God has done great things. But today, thirty thousand babies are aborted in our nation. That wasn't under Obama. That started a long time ago, and so. It, It's not necessarily, when I think about it even in the term of the individual president each time, as much as it is as our collective political system together combined has created an environment where we can wake up, go to work, make money, and babies are being murdered. And we sit around acting like that ain't happening. And I say that to say that I wonder if, I'm going to go into my opinion now, if God brings along a guy like Obama, if the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, Proverbs 21, verse 1, says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, that he flows like a river. And I love that metaphor because a river, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the river. But you know where the river's going to go? Where the banks tell it to go. And so there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in that Oval Office, a lot of crazy stuff going on outside the Oval Office. But God is getting his purposes done. He's going to get where it needs to go. And maybe for us as a a nation, that God is allowing this to happen because as a church, my opinion, we have been asleep at the wheel for decades um, because we've been spoiled and lazy. Um, If you look at, I don't know if somebody wants to Google it, I think it's Ezekiel 28 when it talks about the sins of Sodom. Uh, Well, Hang on, I should have written it down. The sins of your sister Sodom were not, and it does talk about sexual immorality and those things, but what it talks about first is you were, you had prosperous ease, King James Version. You have a way, you a lot of time on your hands. Um, you didn't care about the poor. Uh, I should have written it down, I'm sorry. really need the internet to work as fast as they promised. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. This was the sin of your sister Sodom, verse 49. She and her daughters, now think about this in, in context of, and think, could I fit America into this? Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. And then the next verse goes in and talks about the sexual immorality. So it's not that the immorality, the sexual immorality was not a part of it. It's just that that was as much of a part of it. And so uh, I think to the words of Billy Graham uh, that it's attributed to him, I'm not sure if it was him that said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, And I wonder if what God is doing right now, because I look at what's happening with uh, our current administration, and I think... What are we, is it $17 trillion? Does anybody know? Have we made the $17 trillion in debt? Because at some point, I don't know what the monthly on that monthly is, but we're never going to get there, right? At some point, this, we're, historically, this has never happened before. And so my question would be is if our nation does implode, let me phrase it, when our nation implodes, because if you were to think back over history, like I appreciate Dave Ramsey saying that the average return on the stock market, historically speaking, the average return on the stock market is 12%. And I appreciate that, but that's what the last hundred years say. What history says is great nations rise and great nations fall. That's what history says. And so the question, only question for us is where are we on that arc as a, as a nation? And I'm not speaking in the form of nihilism. I'm saying, hey, that's just what happens. We've got, at least from the biblical narrative, 6,000 years of human history. And uh, if you want to go to Babylon now, that's great. It's like a suburb of Baghdad. It's like the Murfreesboro of Baghdad. Uh, <laughs> 45 minutes south. (laughs) Right? But at one point, it was like L.A. Like, it wasn't like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, like with Tina Turner running around on it. It was literally like L.A. It was this gorgeous, beautiful happening place. And now it's like a, you know, it's a a memory in the middle of a a Muslim holy war. Um, So for us, I would say, do we pray for our leaders? The, The original question, yes. Paul would tell Timothy that um, I believe it's 2 Timothy 2, uh, to pray for our leaders. He talks about entreaties and making prayers. And um, Now, what do we pray for them? He says to pray so that you will live in a peaceable society. That you will, That's the prayer that you're supposed to be asking for. And the good news is, even if I pray wrong, I love the picture of Revelation where it talks about prayer is like an incense that rises up to the Lord. And I feel like that that's basically like God sweetening up my stinky prayers. It's <laughs> just saying, you know, Jesus, he, he lives to make intercession for us. Romans 8 says when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. That it's almost like he's saying, hey, you know, hey Derek, I know this is what Darren's asking, but he doesn't really mean that. What he really is saying is this. So even if I'm praying incorrectly, the Spirit will pray on behalf of me. And that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's ultimately my prayer is that. I pray that we have good leadership. I pray that, uh, that our country does survive. I pray that my kids will grow up in a, a country better than the one that I grew up in. And I caveat it with, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when I think to the big picture of what God is doing on earth, whether it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, Babylon, Israel, America today... That his will will be done. That the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, like a river flowing into the banks. It's going to get where it needs to go. Um, I do believe that there are things that are in play that were prophesied thousands of years ago. Um, that the Lord's, he's, he's not absent. He's not fallen off the throne. He's not surprised. And my hope would be that we could go back to, like Peter, and that uh, I think it's Second Peter when he starts talking about the... Uh, with the government, that this is all great, but we're an, we're a holy nation. That we live in the United States of America, absolutely. I'm a resident here. I pay taxes here. Oh, man, do I pay taxes here? And but I'm a resident of another nation, of a kingdom that is uh, not of this world. And the more I love this world, well, do you, you know who Demas is? If I say that name, there's the who's who in the Bible, and then there's the who's that. Demas is a who's that. And in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of Paul's life, when he's saying, Send for John Mark, he's been good for my ministry, he says, But Demas has forsaken me because he loved this world. He's forsaken the Lord because he's loved this world. <coughs> and I think to that and think that, man, if I'm in North Korea, I, well, look, I used to, when I go to Haiti, I used to feel sorry for those little children there. And I still feel empathy for the hunger and we. we t- but you know who I really feel sorry for now are my kids, because we have a just good enough in this world in America to think that this is what it's about. We have a just good enough to think that this is what matters. We have a just good enough to be like Demas and to forsake the Lord because we love this world too much. And so, um, I sometimes remind myself that, Hey, we're doing great as a nation. We've done a lot of good things, but we ain't all that. And we have got a lot of problems. I mean, if you've and it, for me, this is I am going to take my biblical hat off and put on my my uh, political hat. I mean, I am like apoplectic about the whole thing right now. I don't even know, you know, they can't they can't get decisions made. Everybody's fighting. There's, it's like para, you know paralysis. Um, both sides of the aisle have been crazy. So I don't, you know, other than to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and pray that the you know, that God's will will be done. I look at it from a practical side, and I got to tell you, if I didn't have that prayer, I'd be pretty depressed right now. Um, I can only say that whether our nation rises or falls, I take comfort in the fact that most of the New Testament was written in a nation uh, that was, I mean, torturing them, arresting them, beating them. And uh, I take, I don't know. I take some comfort in the fact that even if that happens, look what, look what happened there I mean, look what happened in China. Look what happened in Russia. The church explodes when it's under great pressure and persecution We grow fat and lazy when we're not. So there's a possibility, opinion, that maybe this is God's mercy on our church to keep us from avoiding that. Because we are, I am more, I have less and less. We talked about it in church a few weeks ago when we were talking about crying out to the Lord. For too many years I was crying out to the government. You know, crying out, get this fixed, I'm going to vote for this guy, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to make a post about this. And I'm crying out for the government to do something instead of crying out to the Lord. Your thoughts. Your thoughts.
2: Well, I prayed for President Obama. I prayed he'd be safe, his family be safe. He had wisdom, and God's will be done. And I prayed for Congress and Supreme Court. All the decisions have to be made. Yeah. and I whined a little bit too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. come on, God. <laughs> you know, but uh, ultimately, uh, he's on the throne,
0: yeah. and we're not. I'm going to add you a layer to this. Go read the book Bonhoeffer by Eric Murtaxis to see how a theologian participated in Operation Valkyrie the plot to assassinate Hitler fascinating book thoughts?
2: Is that a movie?
0: Valkyrie is but that's what the Tom Cruise they don't even mention Bonhoeffer in that movie and he was like well, was a, he involved in that specific plot
4: or was it a different
0: one? it was Valkyrie
2: I think with regard to the question, uh, one of the things that I, I think about is, uh, I think a lot of times, Christians and, and churches, they just say, we're not going to deal with this. We're not going to deal with this kind of political stuff or anything like that. And so, where is that line yeah. that you're supposed to go up to that <coughs> God expects us to do something? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're praying to Him, and where where is that line? How do you know where that is? Yeah, I mean, like for example, mm-hmm. if it was a government overthrow, would that be further than God would think we should go, or would He say it was about time we did something? Or I mean, I don't know.
0: Yeah. To me, so the word martyr actually means witness, and I bring up. Uh, Bonhoeffer because he spoke of that the the tension of he's I mean he was basically a pacifist and I'm not a pacifist I mean I believe in the just war doctrines all those things but he um, in that moment saying it was like basically in the you know as far as when evil was going on that for him to sit by and do nothing was uh, he couldn't do that and um, so I think that when you look to the, the lines of what do we do here We have something in our country that, frankly, Paul, none of the disciples had. We have a voice. Whether it's voting, whether it's running for office ourselves, uh, whether it's, I mean, sometimes like when we get into the Facebook world, it's literally we're just, it's like a giant vacuum. We're just, the way the algorithms are even set up you do this long enough, you're only literally preaching to yourself. So at some point, in my mind, the danger there becomes we're doing something without doing anything. We think we're doing something and we're not. But I would say, as with anything, what is the Lord leading you to do? I mean, it genuinely is that. Because one of our dear friends of this ministry, we wouldn't be a church if it weren't for him, is Jay Sekulo. Um Jordan is on the board of directors for our mission. And he is a voice in our country. Great example. For how many years our public school said that if you were a church, you could not meet in a school. So what Jay did was uh, sue the government using the channels available to him and won a 9-0 to zero victory in 1991 or 2 that said we can use, <coughs> the church can use the schools. Five years ago, when we applied to I probably will take this out of the recording. When we applied to Independence High School, the principal said no, sent me an email saying, thank you for your application, but just like the other schools, or other churches, we don't allow churches in here. We're going to say no. That next day, I happened to be having dinner with Jay and Pam talking about Haiti because I was trying to get him to send a jet down there with stuff in it because the earthquake had just happened. And he made a comment about well, where are we going to be meeting as a church and yada, yada. And I told him, well, Independence High School, but they don't let churches meet in there, so I think we're going to go. You know, maybe to Columbia, and he's like, Well, we'll back up a minute. What did you just say? And it was the first time that I realized who I was talking to. I'm like, Oh, no, 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 I don't want to sue anybody. I don't want to get on the news. I don't want any of that. And like, that was my exact, I'm not even exaggerating. That was me going, No, 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 I don't want to get on the news. And he's like, No, no, that's not about getting on the news. This is you, you just can't let some principle, his words, some rogue principle decide which laws he's going to obey and not going to obey. And so Jay sent a letter, unfortunately, to everybody. (laughs) <laughs> and he's citing all this case law that was the cases he had won, so that was kind of funny. Um, but so the principal, the, the school board president, the attorney for the school board, the uh, someone else, I get one. And uh, and he told me, he's like, you know what, just get ready because they're going to roll out the red carpet for you. You guys are going to – this was four weeks before we were supposed to launch as a church. I didn't know where we were going to meet. The principal wouldn't let us in, and we ended up <clears throat> rolling into Independence High School for four years. And guess what? There's another church there meeting there now. Because we blazed the way, because we spoke up and said, we're not going to, uh, this one we can speak up for. And so, to, to me, I, I know that's still a little gray, but I feel like that um, when we lobby our, our political leaders, um, that it's at least we get a voice at it. Paul didn't get a voice, his voice would be thrown in prison. In fact, his voice was thrown in prison because he was speaking of a kingdom that was coming, and they were saying that's like overthrowing the government. So in their minds, they were, you know, if you look at a lot of what was happening to Jesus when the Pharisees were trying to trap him, what they were trying to do was get the Roman government to think that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government. Now, funny enough, he didn't. He came to overthrow the Jewish government. So that's sort of ironic. But anyway, um, so that's, that's my two cents. I, I would say this, that if you feel fear, that's not Jesus. That's my opinion. But... However, if you don't feel anything, if you don't feel some sort of empathy, like I, what I feel almost is um, sad. I don't know how else to say it. Like I feel like a heaviness, but I'm not. But it's not a fear, not anymore. I used to be afraid, but I'm not anymore because I do believe that Jesus uh, is in control, and I happen to believe that He's coming back soon. Um, to answer the last question, <laughs> I have no, uh, I have no proof, but I know that if I think that His return is imminent. that that I'm in good company because that's what John thought that's what Paul thought that's what Peter thought Uh, so I'm okay to be in that company but when I look to the world at large right now I I think Jesus needs to get back here because we're kind of running out of options and we exist in a world for the very first time where the world itself could destroy itself like in those days one nation could knock out another nation whatever but we're talking right now the technology exists where we are not here in uh, 50 years or 20 years, if the, the technology gets into the wrong hands. So, the, to me, I feel like even if I'm just looking at it practically speaking, we're running out of time practically. But I feel like, you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, he was on this earth, and on the third day, he rose. There's always, there's, he's such a God of numbers. It's the third day, where the, we're in the morning of the third thousandth year. Peter said, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. There, there's a lot of stuff that backs this up. You know, he worked for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. According to the biblical genealogy, the uh, mankind is six thousand years old. We are entering the seven thousandth year, uh, a, a time of rest. So, those are things that make me think that it's soon. Um, but I would, uh, I uh, but he 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 made it impossible to know on purpose. And anybody says that you won't know uh, the day, or the, they know the day and the hour. That has not worked out for any of them. Um, he did, however, say that you will know the seasons. And he said. Um, if you think of the, uh, the Thief in the Night, remember, actually, there's a series of movies. Some of you guys aren't old enough to remember that. It scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Um, but Thief in the Night is what the Bible talks about, but it says, not for you, if you are children of the light, it will not come like a thief in the night for you. You will know the season. That's First Thessalonians 5, I believe. Um, so Paul said that you won't... You know, so everybody else might be surprised, but you ought not to be surprised because you will know the seasons. So that's what I believe about Jesus coming back. Um, any more thoughts we have two minutes before we hit eight, 8 o'clock. And you guys are welcome to hang, by the way. But I just want to make sure, if for teenagers, you want to get your teenagers out, whatever. You want to get home, get to bed. I want to, I want to be respectful of that. But. Back up to Jay Money.
4: Grant's point about, you know, like, how far do you take it to deal with the government Well, The argument could
1: be made, you know, as Christians, we love our U.S.
4: history because we believe that we were founded as a Christian nation. And that can be a whole other debate to whether or not we actually were. But you could actually look at the Revolutionary War or the War for American Independence and call it into question as to whether or not that was a biblically justifiable um, you know, war to overthrow the English government. Um, because if you look at Romans 13, they seem to be acting in direct contradiction to that. So just food for thought.
0: But that's where... It's so funny. I'm a... I'm Like, I'm an Armenian most of the time. (laughs) But I'm a Calvinist when it's convenient for me. And I'm actually what they call a compatibilist, which is apparently not a compliment from the uh, Reformed camp. But Because I believe that, did God choose me? Yes. Did I choose him? Yes. You know, anyway. (laughs) The answer is yes. He's both. Somehow that makes him bigger, not smaller. But I feel like that in the sovereignty of it, that that's part of this picture. I genuinely look at it from a, there were... There's an argument to be made whether or not we are a Christian nation. It is inarguable as to how it was the idea was born, right? From Puritans that wanted to seek religious freedom and those things. And so it's almost like God created this as an outpost for his kingdom that would ultimately become one of the great again, one of the greatest missionary sending organizations on the in the history of mankind is what America has been. For all of our ugliness in the church and all the things we've done wrong, we have been a machine of sending missionaries into all the world. But
3: we've also been a machine of sin and destruction in the third world countries. Our corporations are raped. That's why the, that's why the rest of the world hates us. They despise us. We go into Africa and in the Middle East and we just rape their land and we take it and bring all the money back to our country. That's what they think. And it's because of all the corporations that have money to do that. That's, In my opinion, that's a big part of it. I don't think that the government is necessarily driving this bus. Everybody seems to think that Obama's in charge of He's not in charge of anything. He has no. was yeah. involved in the, the murder of
0: Osama bin Laden he was on the golf course. Yeah, no, I do agree with you. One of the big, one of the greatest games of political history right now with our own presidents is taking credit for crap he didn't do. Um, yeah, I killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah, you know, like. Um, Did you go? Yeah, because funny enough, I thought you were. You know, <laughs> seemed to me. But um, but all of our presidents have done that. You know. They take credit for the gas prices. They take credit for you know, stuff that is completely beyond their control at this point. Um, and to your end, like if you ask the people in Haiti, what do you want? What do you think would save you right now? And I, bet, and I don't bet. I know this because I've had this conversation. If you were to walk into any restaurant, coffee shop, swing a dead cat, you would hit 10 people that will tell you what they want is to become a U.S. state. Now, keeping in mind, the U.S. has screwed the pooch there. We have done some really dumb stuff. We have this really bad ability to pick the right dictator. When it comes to pick your dictator, you know, game, we're really bad at it. You know, and you look through history, we funded Osama, uh, Osama. we funded Saddam, we funded uh, Aristide in Haiti. We just we're bad at it, but uh, yeah. But it's like at the end of the day, it's like bad. Like when you get to that part of the world, even. Do you pick the Shia or the Sunni? It's bad guy versus bad guy. There really is no good option. I mean, that's why the thing in Syria is such a mess. But I say that to say that around the world, that there are, there are corporations that, are, that have done it really bad and corporations that have done it really good. And I, I believe someday we're going to be in heaven. We're going to go actually have a new earth. We'll be here. We'll still have the power to choose. Theoretically, in my mind. With all these years of human history and all these governments and all these political systems and all these financial systems, we'll be able to say, because it says, the prophet Isaiah said that the government will be upon his shoulders, speaking of Jesus. I think we'll be able to say, man, we have tried it every which way but loose. And we screwed it up every time because every time there were humans involved and every time. So whatever Jesus says, again, it won't be like we we're automatons being forced to believe in his government because that's a dictatorship. And that, I don't believe that's what he's going to say. We'll choose it because we're like, man, we tried that one. Oh yeah, we tried capitalism too. Yeah, that didn't work. Oh yeah, we tried democracy. That worked until we started voting for our guy, and all of a sudden our guy started, you know, uh, taking all the money and you know, and until we were seventeen trillion in debt and twenty trillion in debt, and that didn't work. And socialism clearly doesn't work. I mean, find the what what country was it that worked when socialism worked? Because none of us can find one. Um, but we'll say we tried it all of them. I, I believe that, and so our country is uh, free except if you want to expand the parking lot in a church, you're free unless you want to knock down these two walls back here because then you can't. Well, you can, but it's going to cost $150,000 because we've got to bring sprinklers in because God knows that you know now those two walls mean it's way more dangerous in here, so we're free until, you know what I mean? So we're free, but it's an illusion of it. And so I say, like John said, come quickly, Lord. Come, Even so, come quickly.
1: i just add... Um, I know it's late, but I would encourage you. I, I come from a very different perspective, by the way. Um, my mom voted for Eldridge Cleaver, the founder of the Black Panther Party, to be president in 1968. So she, was, I, uh, she was burning the bras yeah. in so, Berkeley back in the 60s. Yeah. I um, was taught all the Manifest Destiny stuff, but at home I was taught a totally different narrative about America. And then even as I became a Christian and traveled around a lot, I mean, I think of like people of China. Been around five, 5 six thousand years, and I would joke at Thanksgivings, America's such an old country with long traditions, and I ah! Oh. we're basically like just this little blip on the map of six thousand year civilization. And um, I look at you know Psalm one and two talk about nations raging and coming and going and everything. Um, I think that we're just here, and God's given us a time to be together on this planet in this specific. Political man-made bordered area, and many said God gave us this land, and other people say God used you to, you know, use. The, and the other ones would say, "Well, you just came in and slaughtered a bunch of native, you know, Native Americans, and and the corporations and all the other things." So um, I was taught that Reagan was the Antichrist, you know, keeping the poor poor and the rich richer. I was, I mean, I was basically not much. Yeah, it's been quite a um, quite a journey of faith and life. When I became a Christian, the first book I read was Job, or the first book of the Bible, and the first book that, like, you know, hey, you're a Christian, that's great. Here is Francis Schaeffer's A Christian Manifesto, oh my gosh. which is basically the thesis is, um, as Christians, we ought to commit civil disobedience and take over the government because of abortion wisdom. I mean, yeah, yeah, I and he's a prominent philosopher. He wrote it at the end book, of his yeah. life. Anyway, so there's a lot of things, but... Um, I think there's a reason why there are a lot of Christians who voted one way versus another way. I think that some people think that immigration and education and health care maybe trump other issues that might be bigger in other people's worlds. And in reality, this is just one little nation on the earth, obviously, we're the superpower right now. But... Um, For now. It, it, exactly. Um, in the next 20 years, uh, it's going to probably shift even more so to the East. But all that to say is, back to that second question... Pray, yes, pray for your leaders because these are the ones at this helm that of a ship that they can't. I mean, even if you watch House of Cards and you think that Frank Underwood, you know, is going to lead it all because he's got all that pop. In reality, I mean, I think every president of the U.S. has always been accused of being the Antichrist by some faction in our society. So wait another four years or eight years. There'll be another guy that we all can throw our darts at.